This is Addiction Support Podcast, episode number 43. Hi, Oak Creek Wellness family. Welcome to Addiction Support Podcast, where I talk with inspiring people who share their knowledge and experience of addiction and what's working for them. This is addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. I'm your host, Melissa Sue Tucker. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Addiction Support Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Sue Tucker. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. Very happy to connect with you. Um, We are in the series of, I guess, a series of six interviews, which Dr. Dean Robb and I are doing together. And this week we're jumping into the topic of codependency. So Dr. Robb answers the question, what is it? You know, what does it mean to be codependent? Where, what are the symptoms? Where does it come from? And how can it be overcome? And I think this is timely, you know, Christmas and Hanukkah and a lot of families, a lot of people are getting together this time of year. And TV would have us believe that this is a joyous time and it's a wonderful time. And it really is. And it definitely can be. But if you are here, your family in some way is struggling or dealing with the topic of addiction. And sometimes that topic, that disease can make the holidays a lot more stressful than normal. So while I do wish you a Merry Christmas or Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, whatever it is that you celebrate, I do understand that it's not always easy for everyone. So for those of you that may be struggling, I just want you to know that you are not alone. You know, there's that's the best thing I think that we can give to each other is just know you're not alone. And so with that, I do want to let you know if you have any questions that you'd like Dr. Rob or myself to jump into and answer, come back to addictionsupportpodcast.com and contact me through the contact page. I'll be the one that's checking that. I don't have anyone else doing that at this time. But if you have any questions you'd like us to answer, we'd be happy to uh, respect your anonymity. We won't be talking about who you are unless you'd like us to do that. But um, we would like to go ahead and answer any other questions that people might have. Or if you'd like to contact Dr. Rob, please do that as well. As always, all of the show notes can be seen at addictionsupportpodcast.com. You can either find it on the homepage if you're listening to this the week that it came out, or just go to forward slash episode 43. So please enjoy this podcast. So I just want to welcome everyone back to Addiction Support Podcast. This week is episode 43. You can find all of the show notes and Dr. Dean's contact information at addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash episode 43. And this is number five in a series of six very in-depth podcasts. So if you're sticking with us here and you're taking notes and you're exploring and asking yourself these questions, um, we know it's taxing and emotional, I guess emotionally draining, but at the same time, I think when you get through that, it's just really enlightening. And I've had my own share of uh, emotional experiences going on as we've been recording this, as I think Dr. Dean has. (laughs) I won't speak on his behalf, but I think, you know, anytime we're going in and doing work like this, it's, did you say this? It's like going in and like, tilling the soil is that's the right word kind of like prepping the soil for what's next and it's not always oh. comfortable oh no oh no, no, no. <laughs> so i just want to thank everyone that's here with us and um welcome back this week i'm excited we're going to be talking about codependency and this is one that i'm fascinated with uh, i think we see it in all areas of life and a lot of times we don't even know that necessarily so uh, we're we're going to be answering the question, what, is, what does it mean to be codependent? Um, and what are the symptoms? Where does it come from? And how can it be overcome? So, Dr. Dean, thank you. Welcome back. I keep calling you Dr. Dean. Dr. Robin, sorry. <laughs> Some people call me Dr. Dean, Dr. Rob, what, you know. At this point, I feel like we're on a first name basis. <laughs> yeah. So where do you want to start with this one? You want to answer what well, is... I, I have something I'd like to start with that is a little unusual, and maybe some people would find it odd, but I have a little tiny story of, I think, my higher power um, giving me a hint, so to speak, or a little gift 
or or it's synchronicity. I I don't whatever you wish to call it. Yesterday, uh, when I had some free time, I put on uh, an old uh, James Taylor CD. It was from his album Flag, which was uh, released, I think, in 1979. And as I was listening, I was like, oh, my Lord. There, there are two songs on this record that capture the essential uh, dynamics um, and emotions of codependency in a way I've never heard before. And I can talk about it sort of intellectually and, you know, describe it, which I'm going to. Um, but that can be a little bit dry. If you would give me permission, I would like to read the lyrics because they're like a poetic capture. He captures codependency in just a handful of words that I went, oh my, oh my God, this, it's really, would that be all right? That would be wonderful. Yeah, I love it. Well, let me start. The first song is called Johnny Comes Back. Um, apparently, Johnny is a woman he's, he's involved with. And he, it goes, all last week and half of today, Johnny has been a good little girl trying to keep her devils at bay, watching her health return. But she always comes back for more, hanging her head and banging my door, Johnny comes back again. And the chorus is, I said, Johnny, remember, oh, Johnny, be good. Please give me some medicine, man. Johnny comes back again. Where'd she get that tear in her eye? Whoever said she could leave me? Where'd she learn to say goodbye? She'd been watching too much TV. She only shows up for meals. My medicine chest and my automobiles. Johnny comes back again. Hmm. Me, I'm just an evil demon playing on her weakness, counting on her sickness to bring her home again. To use me up and rob me blind I guess it shouldn't surprise me, fighting and flashing like a fish on a line. My God, she must despise me, but she always comes back again. Now it won't be long till she's gone again. Johnny comes back again. Wow. Did, did that, does that resonate for you, the basic feeling of it it does that tug and pull and it's not healthy for either however you gotta you need it they're both very sick mm -hmm. and um it's it's twisted the whole thing and and they're very she's very dependent on him obviously and and he's depending on her and he even says me, I'm just an evil demon playing on her weakness, hmm. you know, and counting on her sickness to bring her home again. If that's not the essence of codependency, I, I don't know what is. Right. Then another song that's shorter, but it's called Be, Be As You Are, and it's, it goes on, it says, She's been holding on too long, hoping I'm going to change, giving it up just a little bit more each time I come home, looking and acting strange, putting her down for putting up with me. Do you think you might improve me, trying to take control, watching every little thing I do, 
just like a bleeding movie, just like a leading role. Mama, this ain't me, and I don't believe that it's you. You make believe that I make, no, first you make believe I believe the things that you make believe, and I'm bound to let you down. Then it's I who have been deceiving, purposely misleading, and all along you believed in me. So we circle around one another, playing a guessing game, strangers at this masquerade, pretending to know each other. We strain to catch your name and never see the mistakes we must have made. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I could describe intellectually what's going on, but I think that that poetry there, to me, was a stab in the heart. Yeah. The trying to change me. That line mm -hmm. stuck out. Trying to take control. Take control, yeah. Watching every little thing I do, you know. Yeah. It's... So I think the first question that comes up, I mean, I guess, so I've done a lot of coaching and a lot of working through a lot of my codependent issues. That wasn't the label that I gave it when I was going through it. I just wanted a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. And I feel today that I'm healthier than I was in my past. But I guess like, how does somebody realize that what they're doing isn't working? Because I know for me, when I was in that space where those songs describe, I was so committed to what it was that I was feeling and trying to do. And I was so determined that I was right in doing it oh, that way. You know, <laughs> does that make sense? And to make it work. Yes. Yes. I, it's just like, I want to take people now when I see them in it and just be like, you know, like we've talked about in the past podcasts, like just go within and take care of you and live your life. But it's hard. I think to really get somebody to understand that, that, that being in that that cyclical controlling place isn't healthy and it's not what a healthy relationship looks like or feels like not at all uh -uh. yeah and the, it's like hanging on in a way trying not not wanting it not being willing to see that it's not really working and trying harder to to make it work but having that that sort of sickening feeling down deep that that something you know is deeply wrong and you know feeling maybe like a failure like you can't make it work and having low self-esteem uh about it um it's, you know, two people, it, it used to be defined in, in, I think, the, like, early 80s before, and it got, we got a better understanding, but as, uh, you know, the person that was with an addict, but the fact is, both of them are, are codependent, because it, what it means is two people who are dependent on each other yeah and you need both of them it's not just one person mm-hmm yeah you've got two people who are incomplete who are um, trying to fix themselves or fix another person or complete themselves through another person and none of those things are possible those are things that each person needs to do within themselves and and for themselves yeah hey let's throw out a few examples of what codependency can look like um 
Can I get there in a little bit? I, I actually wanted to talk about, I don't think we can really fully understand um, code. This is the part where I, the, I was going to get intellectual okay. that I was talking about before. And I would like to talk about where it comes from. Okay. Basically. And, you know, have you ever been out, you know, just out shopping or whatever and seen um, a parent with a little child, somebody who's five, six, seven, eight years old? And this this happens to me, and I, I see that, that little child, and I see it, and I feel so deeply and so powerfully how children are so, and they're built this way, they're so defenseless and, and, and vulnerable. They can be hurt by the world and, and by people so, so easily. They're fragile, basically. There's something that needs to be protected and cared for because they're, they're little beings that, that aren't grown up and they're, um, like I said, they're, they're vulnerable, they're fragile, and um, they're needy. Um, very, we go out to, to dinner a fair amount and um, we'll see families sitting around a table and the children, if you watch the children, which I do, they're always going, Daddy, Daddy, Mommy, and talking and talking and, and on them. They're always on them. And, you know, they, they, need, they need that attachment so much. They, they're, they're very needy. And, you know, they just want so much. Uh, to to have their dad and their mom um, listen to them and and pay attention to them and you know hold them and play with them and 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 just take care of them and they're so needy you know if you see a child that's off in their own world that's a little child that's somebody who's damaged mm. already. The ones that are, um, you know, haven't been damaged are, are, are vocal and they're always, um, you know, their parents is their focus. Yeah. You know, they want that love and that care and they want it all the time. Yes. I have my little guy will be three in January, so I'm experiencing that right now. And I totally know what you're saying. I've been listening to Love and Logic, which is a parenting style where you can hopefully, you know, who knows, hopefully teach them to think for themselves while still being there and being supportive of them and not damaging them. But yeah, and they want and the more they get it, the more they want it. Yeah, that is true. And it's a good thing. That's children to become, you know, healthy, functioning people. They need parents who are themselves uh, healthy and functioning and able to support them through giving them um, a great deal of love and attention and validation um, and, you know, helping them with their emotions, helping them with whatever it is they're going through, uh, helping them learn and, you know, being like this protective shell around this vulnerable person and helping them grow and in nourishing them, not not just with food, but in every way, shape, or form, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, um, 
parenting is a big, big job. It's yeah. a very, it's probably the most important job that, that we can have um, because children are so inherently needy. They're needy. And the focus of a parent should be on the child, on their needs, and helping them meet their needs, and helping them build a healthy uh, sense of self, a healthy foundation for, you know, living life, knowing, knowing how to, 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 to live life and, and cope with life. And when a child receives that, and that especially with a lot of love and support, what happens is they develop into having a, a sense of safe safety in the world. That's also, I think, a, I, I forgot it, a, a giant piece of being a parent is uh, keeping a child safe and helping them feel safe. And what that translates to is later on in life is an adult who feels on a deep psychic level that they're, they're okay and life is okay and it's going to be okay. They can, they, they can cope with it because, um, they're, they have good self-esteem and they feel capable of, of facing life uh, and they're not afraid and they feel basically, I'd say basically at least, you know, complete mm -hmm. as a person. But that doesn't happen too often, unfortunately. Um, when parents are themselves damaged, if they're emotionally stunted or immature or they themselves never received this, what I'm talking about, right. um, or they have an, an addiction, they're not, they're basically on a very fundamental level, they're not there for the child. And I mentioned that the focus of the parent should be on the child, but in, in this, when you have a damaged parent, that becomes reversed. And the focus of the child is on the parent and trying to um, help them and meet their needs and trying to fix them and trying to, to make them happy. And when you have a very unhappy person or a parent rather, or an angry parent, that child on a very deep level, not realizing it, feels or and believes that they are responsible for how their parents are feeling. Whereas healthy parents, the child doesn't doesn't feel that way because the, the parent um, teaches them that they, the parent, is responsible for how they feel. But in an unhealthy, um, abusive environment, the child feels responsible for their parents' well-being. It could be physical. If the, if the parent is, you know, an alcoholic or an addict and they're sort of out of commission uh, a lot of the times or, or just without anybody realizing it, the child feels responsible for their parents' dysfunction, for their parents' uh, anger uh, and rage or whatever it is that's coming at them. And if they're abused physically 
you know, actively abused, any shred of self-esteem and sense of having an identity gets destroyed. You have uh, a deeply wounded child that does not have a healthy sense of self and in some cases has no sense of self whatsoever and doesn't know who they are because they didn't get the mirroring that they needed from a healthy parent. Um, and so they, they grow up um, feeling, well, that their self-esteem is in the toilet and, and they, they feel like they have very, very the deep deficits um, and that they are very, very incomplete as human beings and they don't have a sense of safety. That basic underlying foundation of, of feeling safe in the world, which a healthy parent is supposed to give the child, isn't there. If the child is in a constantly abusive environment, they don't feel like there's any floor underneath them at all. It, it feels like the world is a scary, um, you know, evil, uh, frightening place, and that I don't know how to cope with it. Yeah. And I think some religions at times reinforce that. At least that's been my experience with mine. The world is a scary, evil place, and yeah, that, that can compound be, it. Yeah, it's true. Some religions, um, the foundation of of the religion is built on control. Mm-hmm. And the control is gained through making feel people feel dependent or mm-hmm. or feeding uh, on their dependency and sense of shame. I didn't mention shame, which I should have. That if pe- children are constantly abused, uh, especially verbally, they will grow up with a very deep, deep sense of shame. Um, uh, uh, it can be like an ocean of shame and, you know, shame is a profound feeling of utter worthlessness. It, that's what shame is that I have no value. I am a piece of, you know, what? Uh, I'm worthless, I'm useless, um, and these people that I've described that grew up in this kind of damaging environment, they're always trying to uh, find some way of completing themselves because they feel very, very incomplete. And they're always trying to attach themselves to somebody that, um, because they don't feel capable way down deep of living, you know, independently in the world. So you have, that's the underlying gravitational or magnetic pull between people that end up in codependent relationships. Both of them are, are, are not whole people. They're very fragmented emotionally and psychologically, and they're not conscious of this at all, but they believe that they can complete themselves through this other person 
or they can find uh, a foundation or a sense of safety through their dependency on this other person. And it can be, and it usually is, somebody who mirrors at least one of their dysfunctional uh, abusive parents. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a magnetic pull toward that type of person because that's basically all they know. Making notes. So, um, yeah, that definitely covers where it comes from. We're talking about science or songs earlier, so I'm reminded of that line, like every generation blames the one before when all of their frustration comes knocking at your door. Mm-hmm. I don't remember who was singing that song, but that's running through my head right now, and it's so true. Like I think that as parents, and I believe that our parents, people, I believe, do the best they know how to do. Um, and a lot of times the the craziness, I don't know if that's the right word, the um, dysfunction in, in the unhealthy behavior just gets passed down from generation to generation. If people don't stop and take a step back, it's going to keep going. It's going to, yeah, it does. It's, it's intergenerational. And, um, you know, I hear always in recovery circles, don't blame your parents. Uh, I get where they're coming from, but you know what? Blame your parents because that's where it came from. Mm -hmm. Um, if you had, you know, abusive, um, neglectful, um, abandoning, parents who really weren't there for you or who were actively damaging you, guess what? They're, they're to blame. Yep. That doesn't change the fact that now as an adult, you need to, you're the only one that can fix it. Right. It doesn't give you an excuse to not yeah. take care of what needs to be taken care of. But yeah, absolutely place the blame where it lies. Yeah, if I get run over by a car, the blame the the car is to blame, but I'm the one that has to, you know, you know, get get better. Right, you're the one that has to go to physical therapy and do what you need to do to be yeah. whole. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That actually, go ahead. You asked about the how it looks. There's kind of two basic. There's many flavors, but I'd say there's two. At least in my experience, there's two basic types of codependent relationships. One of them is more known than the other. And the one that's more, you know, known, let's say, is the classic one where you have the, the, the so-called codependent who is in relationship to an, an addict. You know, somebody who is... Uh, addicted to substances or gambling or has a sex addiction or, you know, whatever. And uh, their partner believes they can fix them. Right. And oftentimes while they're in the middle of enabling them. That's what they're doing is, is enabling them. And the, the, that that desire, that belief that we can fix them, it goes back to the childhood, where if I, if only I do this, my parents will be happy. If only I'm a good boy, my dad will stop hitting me. It, it's, it's a deep belief that somehow I am responsible for what this other person is doing. And so I feel like I need to make it better for them. And it doesn't work. It never, ever, 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 ever works. Because 
guess what? You're not responsible for that other person's dysfunction. And you're powerless over it. There is absolutely nothing you can do whatsoever that will um, help that person to give up their addiction if they're if they themselves aren't ready. Yeah, and that's just the fact. That's just the cold facts. And the best thing to do is to learn how to detach from that person and and work on yourself and build your own sense of self and your own sense of being responsible for yourself and not being responsible for the well-being of other adults who are fully capable uh, of taking care of themselves. Develop your own self-esteem. Because what happens is the classic codependent um, because they never grew up having any sense, they have no sense of self. So they really don't know who they are. And all they know is this sort of fixing type of thing that, that goes on. And they're trying to complete themselves through this other person. And what they really need to do is their own work of figure, figuring out who they are as a separate, autonomous human being created by God with their own unique God-given identity and let other people begin to take responsibility for their own, you know, addiction or dysfunction that's one that's the most one that people talk about there's another one and that's where um, somebody gets who's what the classic codependent person uh, gets is attracted to narcissists hmm. Yeah, they get hooked up with people who are not, who are really don't care about, down deep, really don't care about them at all, because uh, what they care about is themselves, and, uh, a, a, you know, a narcissist is totally self-absorbed, they... Uh, have a, a deep lack of compassion for others. They may be able to to uh, feign it, make it look like they do, but yeah. really, they just don't. They they and what the, they need, the narcissist need, is somebody to, to sort of puff them up all the time. Huh. And that's why they attract codependents because the codependents are always trying to to make them happy and, you know, build them up. And it's kind of like, you know, always trying to put clothes on the emperor who has no, no, no clothes, you know, so that the narcissist is very, very self-centered. Um, they're unable to attach to other human beings. They, they're completely incapable of emotional attachment. And the, the, the cla classic codependent is trying to get an attachment. And they believe that if they just, you know, again, do the right thing to make the narcissist happy, they'll finally love me type of thing. And that also is never going to happen because the, the narcissist is simply just not capable of it. They mm. go through life using people and throwing them away when they, you know, become less useful to them. Mm -hmm. 
That's interesting. So I'm assuming in both of these cases, the answer to how to come, if it can be overcome, is probably the same. Is that fair to say? Absolutely, it is. You know, there are different flavors, so to speak, but, you know, the underlying structure is the same. It's it's somebody who doesn't have a good sense of self, is uh, deeply wounded, who has very low self-esteem, who has terrible boundaries and, or no boundaries, and in his let themselves their whole life revolve around another person, and they get their identity and sense of um, worth through this, you know, becoming a planet that revolves around this star, and there the healing because you do need to be healing because way down deep underneath both of these people is is shame a sense of worthlessness that's why they're trying to get a sense of worth through another person because they have no sense of self-worth so the, the healing has to come from you know in a way hitting a hitting a bottom first real realizing finally emotionally that this is is not simply not going to work for me and i've hit a bottom with this and i need to do something and what you know functionally to talk about it psychologically what they need to do is to decouple emotionally uh, instead of being enmeshed with that person which is what they are is to emotionally or psychologically detach from that person uh, which means having your own completely separate sense of identity developing your own completely separate sense of self-worth your own completely sense uh completely separate sense of competency and safety in the world and basically um you know launching yourself onto the journey of becoming a whole healed separate have you know having a separate identity mm -hmm. Hmm. so how does one balance you know a marriage that there's elements that it could be construed as you know, there are elements usually when there's a relationship where there are parts that are together and then there's parts that are apart. How does one achieve that balance of interdependency without being codependent and without being just totally independent? Is that possible? Yeah, it is possible. I, uh, my old therapist taught me this. This is so great. He goes, Deed, in a marriage, there are three parts. There's you, there's me, and there's us. In a codependent relationship, there's no you and there's no me. There's oh, just us. Us. That we're totally enmeshed in each other. That's the problem. Neither one of us has a separate sense of self. We're, you know, totally entangled in our psychological sense of uh, identity and worth is completely enmeshed with this other person. So there's like a, a blurring where two people become psychologically merged. And paradoxically, the only way that you can attain, which means you have to develop a healthy us 
is to first have two separate people, a you and a me, meaning each person is an adult and they have their own journey. Yeah. They have their own life. They have their own goals. Uh, they have their own sense of uh, self-worth. They have their own uh, feelings of competency and not just feelings of competency, but it's real because they are, you know, living out those competent. They're developing themselves as a person. And moving into becoming whole as a complete and, and separate person. And this is a little paradoxical that the us part that I mentioned, there's the you, the me, and the us, the healthy us part can only be developed if you have two separate yous and me's. And it's really weird, at least on the surface, but the reason for that is because neither person needs the other. Yeah. Most people think that a, uh, a marriage is based on needing each other. I think way down deep, many people, and I think most, believe that the foundation of marriage is, I need you. Hmm. Well, the problem with needing somebody is that then you have to control them to make them meet your need. Yeah. They, you're, you've made that person uh, a player in your drama, and you need them to fulfill something in you that you feel like you don't have. So you need to to manipulate them to get that in some way, shape, or form. That's the problem with having a, a marriage or, you know, a, an intimate relationship founded on need is that you have to manipulate the other and control the other person. And that's precisely what pushes the other person away. Yeah. So a healthy us is two people who, who don't really, they, they, their own identity is not dependent on the other person so they can freely give of themselves to that person without um, demands, without um, manipulation, and without control. It's freely given love and sharing of time, of attention, of um, whatever it is that, you, that you, you want to achieve together or do together or, or be together. But it comes from a place of non-attachment. This all sounds very wonderful, and I know at times I'm in that space, and other times it just seems like a fairy tale. Well, it can be a fairy tale because yeah. it, it's um, it's a journey. It you know it it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, it takes uh, especially the more. Let's just put it this way: there's a spectrum if in in children of abuse from very mild. To very severe and uh, so the level and amount and depth and degree of damage also varies from mild to you know extremely damaged and so the journey to you know becoming a whole uh, independent or at least psychologically independent adult, very much depends on the degree of damage. Hmm. So somebody who's not all that damaged can do it in you know a space of a, a few years, perhaps. 
but somebody who's deeply damaged, it may take them 10 or 15 years of deep, deep internal work, you know, to repair the damage that was done. Yeah. It almost requires um, a love of learning, I think, and a love of understanding oneself to be able to take that on and, and really go down that journey. Absolutely. It takes a willingness, which usually, unfortunately, comes from pain. Yeah. Um, uh, having lots, enough of it, where you feel this, this isn't working anymore and something has to change and that change has to start with me. I see that pain or that bottom as a gift. Because you're right, like as humans, we kind of get comfortable with whatever. And until something's really painful or we're really afraid of the pain that's going to come, we don't usually take action. No. No, we don't. We're built for safety and security. And, you know, there's a big fear of, of, of the risk. You know, what could happen? There's a fear about maybe the relationship will fall apart, maybe all fall apart. There's all these unknowns attached to it. And, but the, I can tell you, I can't tell you anything about your relationship, but I can tell you that there is a, a journey of healing for every individual. Dr. Rob, I know we have listeners that are listening to you, and I, I've seen in different Facebook groups and stuff, people start to uncover this idea of codependency, and then um, kind of, I've seen go to a couple camps. One is, I'm leaving this relationship, I'm done with it, I'm not going to be codependent anymore, I'm going to be independent. And then I see the other side where people are like, but I don't want to leave them. Mm -hmm. um, do you think somebody has to just throw their hands up and walk away in order for them to be healthy and whole? Absolutely not. It, well, it depends on if you, you know, if your partner is really, you know, I don't know what to say. Maybe evil is the way word that's coming to mind, you know, that, that you are in, in peril, uh, physically, or, or psychologically uh, with that person, you know, you need to get the hell out of there. Be and, safe. And, and take care of yourself. And um, maybe you'll find out that, that if you start your own journey, the other partner themselves is does, does not want any part of it. And they start to ramp up their control hmm. mechanisms and you know it becomes you know a, a lot of arguing and um you know emotionality and outbursts and drama it it may require you to leave but it very often it doesn't it it if you uh, have a moderately, let's say, functional relationship, um, it's very possible, uh, in fact, it happens all the time, that all that you need to do is start working on yourself and develop yourself, and it very often, not always, but very often it, it will trigger the other person to start working on themselves yeah. because there's, they discover they can't get over anymore. And their uh, tricks just aren't working anymore. And they see the other person growing and they, they start to fear losing them. And so they say, okay, what, what do I need to do? I want this to work. And so they, have, they themselves think, own journey 
So you move from a relationship that's basically immature to one that's mature, where it's based on two people that are working on themselves and have a, a decent, moderately decent sense of their own separate identities and are working on their own lives and then are able to create this healthy us that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. I know we're running a little bit long. I'm wondering before we jump off, would you be willing to share with us an example of setting a healthy boundary for somebody that maybe has no idea what that is or how to do it? Well, first, the the most important thing I ever learned was when somebody told me that the word no is a complete sentence. I love it. Um, I'm not going to do that. No, that I, I'm not going to do that. That that's not something I'm going to do. Um, I'm not staying in tonight. I I'm deciding that I want to you know go out with my girlfriends. And, and or boy, you know, boyfriends or whatever, my male, and have a night out. Um, I know you're upset and and you don't like it, and you you want me to be here all the time, but I'm I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. Um, or no, that's not acceptable behavior. You can't uh, grab me and uh, demand sex anytime that you want. Um, I'm. I'm not your sex slave. Uh, a lot of it is saying no, learning how to say no to things that are basically un. Or saying no to demands that are meant to confine you and control you and keep your life small so that you aren't growing and expanding. Um, so it's basically in refusing to buy into um, manipulative, controlling behaviors. And that's good. And I think some of that, I would guess that people don't always know when they're being manipulated or controlled. So maybe kind of spend some time asking yourself, like, how do I feel? How do I feel about that conversation? What was coming up and really exploring that so you get a sense of awareness around it? Because sometimes we can't say no if we don't know that mm -hmm. that's why we're not happy in that moment or why it's not working for us, right? Well, if you have a knot in your stomach, that's telling you that probably something unhealthy is going on. If somebody asks you to do something and you have this gnawing sense, you know, of no way, way down deep. We usually push it down and don't listen to it, but it's basically that part of ourselves that's trying to take care of ourselves. So I think the knot in the stomach is a very good indicator that probably something is going on that is not really, is not good for you. That's a good point. I know that you would love to talk to anybody that's in this place or would like to work with you. You want to tell people how they can do that? Sure. It's uh, just a, uh, a reminder. It's Dr. Dean Robb. My website is uh, www.nextstagerecovery.com. My office telephone is 908-757-4721. And my email is drrob, D-R-R-O-B-B, -B, boys and boy, boys and boy, at nextstagerecovery.com. 
All right. So I hope that you found that topic really impactful. I know if you're anything like me, listening to that and applying it to yourself and your life and how you're showing up can be emotionally draining and can be a little difficult. So please know this is a lot like going to the gym. You know, you start working out after not working out for a while, your body's going to be sore. So with this, you know, your heart's going to be sore. There's going to be probably physical reactions. Maybe you get sick. Maybe your stomach hurts. Maybe you have a headache. I don't know. Um, But just hang in there. Stay with it. Love yourself. And you're not alone. Please come back next week. And we're going to be going into the topic, which I love, is all about healthy relationships. And that's going to be a good one to re-listen to for me as well. So, hey, I wanted to let you guys know the reason why I haven't released any podcasts since I think it was probably October, maybe the end of November or the beginning of November at this point. But we were in the middle of some stuff with the family. We had a big move and a couple of other things. So I haven't gone anywhere. I still love you. Still see you surrounded with light and love. And if you get a chance... Go to iTunes and leave us an honest rating and review. That'll help more people find us. Subscribe if you haven't already done that. If you have any questions, you can come back to the show notes, addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash episode 43. And I'll see you guys next time when we go into the topic of healthy relationships. Love you. See you surrounded with light and love. Happy holidays. Thank you for listening to the Addiction Support Podcast. Addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. www.addictionsupportpodcast.com. Music.